Welcome to this week's episode of Getting on the Green. We have our No Carcenti joining us today. He's going to talk to us a little bit about some of the deals he's done, how he got started in real estate, and um, basically just entrepreneurship as a whole. He is a managing principal of 13th Floor Investments. He went to Harvard Business School and Duke University before that, so he is a very intelligent and well-rounded gentleman. Um, so I'm very excited to talk to him. I've got lots to learn from him, and uh, let's get right into it. Welcome, Arno. The podcast is going to be a little bit um, different from the ones in the past. We're going to be talking about a couple of different topics, and it's going to bring in um, some fun things that we haven't spoken about so far. Um, so before we get into anything more, I want to welcome in Arno Carcenti, our guest. So welcome, Arno. Thanks for having me, Greg. Um, so I, I want to talk briefly about kind of how we got linked up. So my marketing team at NAI Miami uh, contacted you and they've contacted a couple of other potential guests. Um, and then I kind of take over from there and try and uh, schedule, find out what topics we talk about, this and that. And a funny thing is, is I saw your last name and I asked, you know, do, do you have a son? And, you know, you have a couple of kids, but they're too young for who I was thinking about. And then it comes out that you have a brother and I know him. And so it's, it's funny that you never know who you can connect with unless you take those steps and put yourself kind of outside your comfort zone and speak to new people. And before I know it, wow, I have a new contact. Um, and, you know, it's just interesting how because of this podcast and because I was willing to speak with you and you were willing to speak with me, which is the more important thing, <laughs> um, I was able to, to figure out that we have a link and we already have some sort of an existing, I guess, in theory relationship because I know your brother. And so because of that, I feel like I'm somewhat more comfortable with you and hopefully you feel more comfortable with me before we've even seen each other or met each other. So I just want to kind of put it out there to all the, get, or all the listeners that get out of your comfort zone, talk to people, don't be afraid of what's going to happen because you never know when you find that link that, you know, brings each other together, whether it's, you know, golf, uh, a family member, um, an experience that you all shared together that you didn't even know. Um, so I know that's a little bit off topic, but I thought that was very interesting and cool that we actually knew each other. And I had, you know, in theory, I had no idea who you were, but once I saw the last name, here you are, we have that link. So um, let's get back on topic. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. Um, obviously, based on the education that I mentioned before, you're definitely smart, successful, um, and I'm really excited to find out a little bit more about yourself. So why don't you tell us um, a little bit more about what you do? Great. Uh, well, I can tell you what I don't do, which is uh, I play golf. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, uh, I, I don't have that skill under my repertoire. But um, what I do for a living is uh, I invest and develop real estate uh, projects and properties all throughout um, Florida and the Southeast United States. Um, you know, frankly, I, I have been an entrepreneur, uh, I, I feel like since birth, but in practice uh, ever since college. And I just enjoy business. I enjoy the, 
I enjoy, you know, running a business. I enjoy starting a business. I enjoy putting people in business. I enjoy working with others. And uh, you know, we're having a great time. So it's it's been a uh, it's been a been very fortunate to have built been able to build a business in in uh, the last dozen years here in South Florida. And uh, obviously, in times like this, which are difficult for everyone, including uh, all of us. Um, uh, I definitely am very grateful that we have an operating company that works well and that people are happy and that are being able being provided for. And also, I take a lot of uh, satisfaction in the fact that our the, the work product of what we do, you know, not only can you see it with your own eyes with the building that we build and projects we buy, but also, you know, we've, we've been able to also do good in the community uh, by first and foremost, the financial community. We've gotten, we've generated good returns for investors, many of whom are friends of ours and some of which are uh, retirees and people who, who are counting on the capital and the returns to generate uh, income. Um, and, and also the, the benefits for our community. I think we're growing South Florida and other areas of the Southeast in a positive way. We've done some really cool things in, in different mass classes. And uh, it's nice to be able to see and touch uh, kind of the, the fruits of your labor, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, uh, if given the choice to, uh, not work or work, I would choose to work because it's a lot, it's more fun. That's great. Um, so you mentioned that you can see the fruits of your labor. I think that that's one thing about real estate in general that is so much more, you know, heartwarming or beneficial than in, in when it comes to the investment world, because you can invest in stocks and you never see, you know, what you're actually investing in. You can invest in, you know, other you can buy people's mortgages, this and that. But when it comes to actually owning real estate, you can watch it be built. And in development especially, you can watch it go from a piece of dirt to a massive building. Like behind you, I see all these buildings. Uh, I assume you're in yeah. Brickler downtown. Fact, there, there's, one, there's one here which we built. So I think if you see, here, I'll pull up the shade. Unfortunately, our uh, our listeners can't can't see it, but I mean, there's there's oh, two okay. very nice uh, what look like residential buildings uh, yeah. there. I didn't, I didn't realize that, but yeah, behind <laughs> the building right across the street, that's in Brickle. So you know, that's a good example though of your point, which is you get to see what you build, um, which is nice, and it's it's also somewhat of a reminder, frankly, because you know when you spend your whole day, you know, dealing with with numbers and people and projects and Excel spreadsheets and email, it's easy to lose sight of what you're actually doing. And then you get to go on, on site and see the, the product that really does. It's a very, it's an, it's a very cool perk of being in this business. I have to say, um, I was never one of these uh, kids that like dreamed of building big buildings. That was never something I mean, even though I was an engineer and loved the concept of construction and building and, uh, and how things work. It was never, an aspiration of mine to necessarily build like the tallest building, but the fact that it's there uh, does create a lot of satisfaction, and also it motivates your team um, and your the people that you work with. So back to your point about stocks and bonds, it's a little harder to get a sense of you know uh, what you're doing or touching the product when you're dealing with that. Um, so so yeah, I, I would agree with that. And you can, like you said, you can you can really see how it affects the community how it changes people's lives, how it makes people happy. Uh, obviously there's a lot of different types of real estate. So whether you're a home builder or you're doing, um, uh, you know, low income housing, you're, you're providing a difference to your city and you're make, you're technically changing the landscape. You're building buildings that'll 
in theory, be there for years and years and years to come. So you can see it, it's tangible, you can touch it, you can feel it, you can smell it. Um, so it, that's, that's a great part of uh, the real estate world that you don't necessarily get when you're doing other types of investments. Um, that's so particularly true in home building where you really get to see a family that otherwise was not living in a home and that gets to move into their first home. Um, that is very satisfying. So, you know, when we have our grand openings for the home building communities and we get to meet, you know, school teachers and uh, police officers and workers and firemen and other people in the community who literally come in and say, this is the first home I've ever owned. They have two little kids and they move in and you see them actually move their furniture and go back the next week and they have, you know, their kids are riding bicycles on the, down the streets. Um, that, 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 that is definitely something you feel really, really proud and good about. Yeah, so, so let's take it back a little bit. Um, so tell us how you got started in the real estate world. Uh, obviously, you have an engineering degree, um, um, so you have that building mind. But could I just... I'm sorry? You cut out for a second there. You, you said I, you I'm, I'm asking how, how you got started in the real estate world, because you have that engineering background. So how, how did you get into real estate? I, I started off by... I, in college, I, I started a, a different company. Uh, it was it was in the it was actually a, a logistics business called College Boxes. It was a moving and storage company it was geared towards the college market, so we used to move kids stuff in and out of dorms. Uh, when I was in college, I grew that company to forty schools, and I sold the business uh, about four years after that. And uh, the business was a neat little business that's actually still around today. Um, but it, it was also very seasonal. So uh, it gave me some time to do other things. It also gave me a lot of uh, anxiety because I had to pay bills during the time <laughs> that you weren't making money. So it didn't just give me time to do other things. It also forced me to do other things because I, I had to occupy myself. So I got into the real estate business, frankly, uh, through a friend of mine who was working with me, who was actually the head of, uh, who headed up my marketing. Uh, his name is Bill Fuller, and he's uh, actually still very active today, and he's still doing. Uh, so we started buying together a lot of properties in Little Havana, and uh, Bill, to this day, is is kind of the king of Little Havana at this point. He owns all his properties and done extremely well there. But Bill's the one that got me into it, and frankly, I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't, I didn't even really like it or think it was interesting until Bill got me excited about it. We used to drive around in his car, and he used to show me all these little uh, properties. And uh, we bought one together. Uh, and I remember he used to drive around in his car. We used to eat, for whatever reason, he loved Hershey bars and apple juice. As a, as his, that was his favorite combination. Yeah, that's quite the combination. <laughs> go in at the gas station and, he would, and I would pick him up a uh, Hershey bar. I think he liked the ones with the almonds and, uh, and apple juice. Uh, and I think I, liked, I think I liked orange juice at the time. But anyway, so we used to drive around his car and we would just look at real estate and uh, we bought our first property together and, and it worked out we bought it and shortly thereafter i think we may have sold a, a part of it or to someone else or to it was property. a commercial piece it was actually a house it was a house that you could tear down and build uh some multi-family on okay bought the one next door the one behind it and one thing led to another and we started making a little bit of money and for young guys in our i think we were held as i was 23 24 
yeah, it was around that time. So, you know, as a young guy making a little bit of money, going from zero, from nothing to something is, 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 is incredible. It's amazing. So you kind of catch the bug. And so all of a sudden, you know, we started by buying a couple property, we bought a couple more. Um, and so, you know, it's funny because I get, a, I get calls all the time from people asking me for their, my advice on, on the real estate business. And I always just tell them, just go buy a property or just go buy, buy something. It doesn't matter what you buy, buy a house, buy a convenience store, buy, buy a strip center, buy a part of something um, with whatever you can afford it. Cause that's how I did it. And frankly, I learned everything from just by buying the, the first couple properties and calling up, you know, figuring out who to call and calling up attorneys and architects and land use guys. And, you know, you, you know, as long as you're nice and polite to people, you know, for the most part, they're going to respond. And I remember even sitting down with people that interestingly, I, I still work with today, but at the time, you know, they were just giving me a, a first shot and I would be in their office and they would give me uh, like effectively free time. You know, they gave me a free, I remember one attorney in particular who said that this is going to be my gift to you is one hour of my time. I usually charge, you know, clients three or $400 an hour, but for you, I'm doing it for free and I, you need to really pay attention. And he walked me through how zoning worked and he walked me through how to calculate the, the areas that you can build on and what a builder would think about and how an architect would think about planning. And, and he actually left, gave me uh, the, the zoning book, the Miami zoning book that he actually left with me. And he said to me, it was my gift. Um, and so, you know, it, it's interesting, these kinds of stories, you piece them together and you realize that that's, that's what you learn from. And it's, it's, I remember that a lot more vividly, for instance, than I remember probably a lot of other bigger things that have happened over the course of my career, because those are the meaningful things that actually gave you the, the tools to, to, to learn. So started off by buying some real estate. Um, it worked out pretty well. I probably, fast forward, I probably owned a dozen or so de deals um, in and around the inner cities of uh, Miami through in Little Havana and elsewhere. And then I left uh, town. I went to business school uh, for a couple of years. My wife uh, was a doctor. She is a doctor and she wanted to do her residency out of state. So uh, that was a calling card to leave, uh, even though I wasn't at the time that excited about leaving because I kind of enjoyed the Miami real estate scene. Uh, but I sold my business my for my college boxes business. Then I, uh, uh, sold the real estate, whatever little, whatever real estate I had, I was, I, I got this, this I, I started by selling, by selling that. I, I started selling those assets and then I, I applied to schools and uh, got into Harvard. So I went there and then uh, my wife, Rebecca did her residency in Boston as well. And so I, I kind of set off to, to do that for a couple of years until I got my MBA um, from 2004 to 2006. And then I kind of decided, you know, I had to make another decision, which is what, what am I going to do after that? So I uh, kind of toiled around with a number of ideas, uh, but then decided I really like this real estate business. And so I said, you know, why not come back and actually do this kind of in earnest? And so I, I, I formed this business, 13 Floor Investments, um, and, um, and, and kind of started it up again. Only problem there is that the market had completely uh, turned and um, the market was, was kind of peaking when I, when I was in school and when I graduated, it was really starting to show some cracks. And so it was very, it was a very difficult time to, uh, to make sense of, 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 of the, of, of the market around us because things were really falling apart. So we started by buying a lot of distressed assets and my first deal was in 2008. And at the time I actually, um, had a business partner who was older than me and who had a lot of experience in the construction and building business. And he was actually, um, 
he was actually one of the builders that I'd sold some some stuff to back in the uh, when I was doing stuff in Little Havana. And so uh, we we kind of uh, we attached our I attached kind of this 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 investment venture to his building company, and we formed our own our own thing. And we 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 went off and basically by 2008 we were off buying distressed assets, and um, we we did that for number of years for three or four years and it took off and all of a sudden we were we were one of the more active buyers of distressed real estate in south florida and um you know the company kind of went from one or two people to three or four to five to six to i forget how many we were at the at the time uh, we had we finished our first uh, fund maybe a dozen or so people but you know it became it became a a company 13 more investments and then then the downturn kind of you know evaporated, uh, and then the the world kind of came back. Frankly, the world came back faster than everybody thought it would. It would. I mean, there were there were uh, there were predictions that Miami was going to take somewhere between something like 10, 10 years to come back. I think it was some some crazy number of months of absorption. I think like a hundred months of absorption of, of condominiums and product, and it, it didn't work out that way. It actually happened very quickly. It happened. It, it bounced back in, in a matter of a couple of years. And so the, it went from actually a down market to kind of a boom market. And so that was the, that was when the company pivoted from just being a distressed investor to also being a kind of a more of, a, of an opportunistic growth investor. And then we started developing assets as well. So we, we started by, by building some of the assets that we'd already owned. And so fast forward to today, we've done 50 of these deals. Uh, We've invested across about two billion dollars in real estate across the, the, the region. Um, we were up to about forty-five people in the company, and um, here we are. All right, so you just opened up like twelve different doors of questions that I have for you. Um, so, as you're getting started, and I kind of like to ask this question to a lot of people I talk to, or basically everybody I talk to about how they get started in real estate. Um, is you were talking about uh, that first person who uh, you would eat chocolate and apple juice or orange juice with. Um, would you consider him as a mentor or do you have a, another mentor um, that kind of oh. taught you or, you know, helped you through? No, the apple juice guy was a friend, still is a friend. Uh, but, but no, I wouldn't call him a mentor. I think when I think about mentorships, I think of more mentors. I think about kind of typically senior people who have had a big influence in your life. And you know it's interesting. Some mentors are 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 kind of uh, figureheads in your life who, who, who represent something that you aspire to be or that you look up to, um, and 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 they provide a lot of value just by wanting to you know to be people that you want to emulate. And then some other mentors are more what I would call almost like a practical mentor that are really there and and kind of someone hold your hand and help you go through issues as they come up uh, and they're both are good and both by the way some some people can serve both functions um but what i've had some mentors over the time i've had the good fortune of having a couple of mentors who have um who really become friends honestly i think mentorship the mentorship uh, i think men- being a mentor is really a form of friendship uh, but it but it serves a greater purpose in many ways because it gives you something it gives you a guideline by which to you know, you know, think about your life. It also gives you someone to really uh, reach out to and and call call on, especially when when you have difficult decisions to make or you're undergoing some form of 
period of transition or uncertainty, mentors can be very, very helpful. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I usually say, and I know I've said in my podcast before, that if you can find somebody who's willing to spend their time to help you, for instance, like that lawyer did who said, hey, you know, I mean, maybe they're not considered a mentor, but they were willing to give you technically $400 of their time. You know, that's, that's value. And finding those types of people who genuinely care about you or about your well-being, who are willing to give you that time, I think is invaluable. And I think it springs you ahead however, you know, however much further in your career uh, because you can have those people to count on or talk to. That's a great point and something I think about often, not just as the receiver of that time and being grateful for that, but also as the giver of that time. And, you know, both are extraordinarily rewarding. There's a there's a thin line between wasting someone's time uh, and, or, or having your time being wasted and really uh, benefiting and giving and feeling great about the time that you receive and give. And it has a lot to do, number one, with who you do it with. Number and number two, um, you know how you use that time. You know, uh, you know, so someone like yourself who's a, who's a great golfer, you have a, a gift to be able to give people the golf instruction if you choose to. Um, and, and and at the same time, you may be the receiver of great, you know, advice or guidance in another area that that you could use from. So I think you know it's interesting you say that. I think time is in many ways, the most valuable of all currencies. Absolutely. Because it's, first of all, it's the only thing you ever can get back. And, and frankly, it's, it's the most valuable thing in the sense that it, it's, it's, it's true mind share from someone else, right? You're, you're, you're actually, you know, someone's truly giving you their true consideration by giving you their time. I think it's also important not to abuse it. Um, you know, and I, I, I make it, I've always made it a point uh, early on in my career even uh, to never to never ask of people more than I feel is I deserve, right? So, you know, a lot of times I've had opportunities to meet, you know, quote unquote, important people or you know, notable or maybe famous people that can help me. And I always ask myself, well, why, why would I want to meet them? Or why would they want to meet me? What could I do for them? And and sometimes I would turn down those opportunities, not because not because I was shy or because I didn't want to I didn't want to uh, to meet that person, but because. I just didn't feel like it was like, like the value was there. And so I think being really mindful of someone's time is just as important as, as when you, when you uh, give it yourself and you have to be, you know, you know, I think it goes both ways is my point. In other words, the mentor gets a lot out of being the mentor, the mentor to the mentee, not just the, the giver. It's also, it's not just that he's given the time. He's also pro- providing, he's also deriving value from giving the time as well. So I think it's important that balance, and those who those who don't understand that are will, will, will struggle to to reach to, to, to connect with the, with the with the people that they want to connect with because because I think there's a there's a there's a balance that they need to respect. I definitely agree with that. Um, so you had also mentioned that you were buying up distressed assets. How do you know that an asset is distressed? In theory. Um, there's a listing, let's say, let's say we're talking about a home and you look at Zillow and it's listed for however much money. What do you do to find out that it is distressed? Or is that, you know, kind of a trade secret? Distressed is like this blanket word, uh, that is used to talk about deals that are in some form of financial trouble. Um, frankly, it's probably overused. I mean, first of all, 
many of the deals that we bought that were quote unquote distressed were perfectly good deals and fine deals and frankly just you know didn't have any real problems with them other than the fact that you know maybe they they were they were bought for too much money or they had too much debt on them so you know a lot of times the calling card of distress is going to be if you buy something if you buy a loan at a discount that's going to be distressed because obviously the guy that the borrower can't pay back or if you buy something in bankruptcy that's obviously distressed because they're they're having a hard time meeting their obligations uh or in some cases the situation has distress in other words the 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 partnership isn't getting along and 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 the you know people can't can't seem to agree on the on the path to take to on the business plan for the asset so i think distress can be used in, in many ways it's it's almost i would almost think about it as more of being opportunistic which is you know if you see something that's worth a dollar that you could buy for 50 or 70 cents um that's kind of how we think about the world in terms of buying value and so it doesn't have to come through pure distress as much as this through whatever situation we can that gives us the ability to acquire something you know below its value or at least uh quite acquired in a way to add value to it um and that's kind of how we we make a living we at 13th floor we we kind of try to find that value that you know is doesn't have to be hidden but it has to be maybe it's not as quite as obvious uh to the general market yeah uh what you said about uh the trying to buy a dollar for however much you know the 60 cents 70 cents that's basically what um the oracle of omaha warren buffett uh likes to say a lot you know he's either the best or one of the, the best investors in history and that's what he does. He's not a trader. He's not going in and just throwing money at a problem. He's going in trying to find assets that he thinks are high value, but being able to purchase them for pennies on the dollar. So I, I like how you how you mentioned that because I, I like to follow what uh, Warren Buffett does. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people like to follow what he does. Um, but but that's a, a good thing to keep in mind about finding those opportunities that might pop up that you're not even necessarily looking for. You could be looking for a residential and then all of a sudden you find that commercial property right there that is that situation. You that's, you know, that million dollar deal that you can get for $500,000, boom, there's your deal. Um so you have to be able to adjust and and see those, keep an open mind. Um so let me let me ask you about if you can think of what your favorite deal you've ever done is? Uh, can you can you describe that, or your favorite project, or or something along those lines? Favorite deal I've ever done. Putting you on the spot here. No, it's a good question. Um, or maybe the trickiest deal, or one you had to get you know over a hump, and you know just talk a little bit about that. There's actually a, a favorite deal, uh, I would say, that we always talk about. There's a deal that I did uh, very early on in my career where I was, um, I, I, I bought about a thousand lots in, in, the, in Homestead for $1. And you probably wonder, like, how, how, what does that even mean? All thousand for a dollar? So it was a thousand dollars total or one dollar like, included all thousand? I think it was like 1200 actually. <laughs> And we bought it for $1. In fact, it even gets better. We, we bought it for a dollar, uh, and we also bought it with a credit. Uh, we actually came with cash in the bank. And um, and so you're thinking to yourself, how is that possible? It's probably I don't get like, it. <laughs> it's too good to be true. But 
what what what, I, what you don't what you don't realize is that while we bought it for a dollar, we also assumed about ten million dollars of of debt obligations and liabilities, um, and we had there were bonds that were basically collateralized by the land that were senior to our dollar. So it wasn't as simple as just you know closing the deal and just collecting the cash in the bank and walking away. We actually had to unlock all that. All, all that bond, all those bonds, and so the, the land at the time, you know, was worth probably less than those bonds were. So if there was ten million dollars of bonds, the land may have been worth six or seven million dollars. Uh, and our view was that that was a very bad time in, in history, and that things would get better. And so we we, we bought it for a dollar. Uh, and, and so we kind of, it was almost for us like a free option. In fact, I remember the cost of the transaction was the legal bill, which I think was $75,000 because it was a pretty complicated uh, legal transaction. And I remember that was, that was the thing we were up against. We were like, should we spend $75,000 on this opportunity? And, 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 and we didn't know. Um, now you're probably wondering, why would anybody sell you something for a dollar? And for, that was an interesting question because the person who was selling it to us was really what they were trying to do was they had collected um, gains in the past that they were looking to offset with losses for, from a tax perspective and so people do and so by selling the deal to a dollar for a dollar they were able to take a loss and they needed to record that loss by a certain time in order to offset the, the liability and so um, and so that they, they were motivated to sell to for, for a dollar and we were motivated to buy for a dollar. <laughs> I would, yeah. Anyway, we, we ended up selling, I think we ended up uh, resolving those bonds and, and we ended up uh, buying back those, the, the debt uh, at a discount from, from, from the bondholders. And then we, we ended up uh, working through the deal and ultimately the deal succeeded and those lots were worth uh, more obviously than a dollar. <laughs> forget exactly how much we sold them for but i think it was it was it was enough to make the deal a very good deal um and i think the the people that we sold it to ended up building homes and did very well as well so you know it, it's one of those interesting scenarios where you never really know um you know how value represents itself um and and so when i think about being able to buy something for one dollar uh, it probably won't happen again uh, <laughs> But it goes to show, you know, one thing it goes to show, it, 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 when people say, when people think that they describe their worst case scenario as, oh, I'm going to lose 10%, or the worst case scenario is that only half happens or something, people don't realize that the worst case scenario is that you lose everything. <laughs> and, and people who don't quite understand that, that concept haven't been, either haven't been around times like 2008 and 9, or um, or, or, or easy to forget them. But this is a dangerous business where you can really lose a lot of money. And uh, if you're not careful and if you overpay or you overlever, uh, you can find yourself in a situation where the, the highest bidder is, is, is a guy who will pay you $1. So um, it taught me a big lesson about, I was fortunate to be the, the recipient of that opportunity, but it also taught me a big lesson about how bad things can get and to be very, very careful in this business to not overpay and certainly to not overlever. That's probably even more important than, than than the overpaying, so uh, that's 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 a good question. Not a, well, risk management is definitely huge in any investment, um, but I guess for sure in um, in real estate as well. 
Um, that's by far the craziest deal I've ever heard. So congratulations on that. You know, you'll you are now stuck in my mind forever, or until somebody can beat that. But you know, I don't I don't know if if anybody's ever going to beat that in my head. Uh, that's the craziest deal I've ever heard. So that's awesome. Um, so we are kind of you know getting towards the end of of our time. But I wanted to talk slightly about what we were talking about before we started recording, and that is you asked me a question, um, and if you don't mind me talking about it briefly, I think it's. A, a cool question because I've, I've fielded this question a lot before as a golf professional. Um, you asked me, is it too late to start getting into golf? Um, because you're in your early 40s, uh, sorry for saying your age, and you said, I either think I should have started golf when I was much younger or when I'm much older. But when I have, you said you had two kids, three kids? Three. So you have three kids, so you know you definitely don't have too much time to toss away. Um, but you asked me this question, and my answer is very, very quick. It's never too late to start golf, and it's never too early to start golf. Um, I gave you the example of right now in COVID, people mostly are indoors. So what a fantastic opportunity to take your kids outdoors when it's beautiful weather, and just start hitting some golf balls. You spend some time with your with your kids and you know, you can start what might be a great either weekly activity, daily, who knows. But there's so many opportunities to get into golf and play in whatever capacity you feel comfortable. So you said you were a tennis player, correct? Yes. So there's a lot of links in between tennis and golf. Uh, obviously, I won't get into the actual intricacies of the motion, but a lot of the motions are exactly the same. When I would teach, I would teach people about the forehand in um, tennis. It's very much the same as releasing the golf club. So if you have a nice forehand, and you know, unless you play tennis lefty and golf righty or vice versa, you know that might be a little counterintuitive, but a lot of the motions are the same, and it's never, a bad time to start playing golf. And I think it's a great thing for business as well. I, I would suggest to people, you either play tennis or golf or both. But um, you were talking to me a little bit about uh, some outings or something like that that you usually let your, your CFO or something like that or your marketing person take instead of you. But, you know, feel free to do it. It's as long as... So, and I, and I agree with that point. I think that the, the thing with, with activities in general is that you get to a point in your life where you like to be good at the things you do. <laughs> and, you know, there's the thin balance between trying something new and getting better at something that you do, you're doing. And the way I think about golf is I think about it as a very uh, exciting, in, uh, you know, very interesting activity and sport but that will take a lot of time to master. And I respect the fact that, you know, there's, it, it, it would be, let's put it this way. It's not like I could randomly, you know, I, I don't, I don't fashion myself as someone that would just randomly be good at golf just because I tried it. It's not like I would get like lucky that way. It's not like you're born. You know, I don't think I was born with this particular, you know, proclivity to golf, no different than you can't sit down at a piano and just start playing it from scratch just because you decided to, or a guitar, pick up a guitar. You have to invest in these things. And so, you know, I think about it as, you know, the when you start, you better be prepared to really put the time in to be at least proficient. Um, and I, I like to think of myself when it comes to my activities. I don't think I'm 
I don't think I, I'm great at any one thing, but I'm pretty good at a couple things. And I like being pretty good, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's tennis as an example. Uh, this is what I'm pretty good at. Um, am I great at tennis? No, I didn't play D1 college level tennis. Obviously, there's many, many much better players than me. But I can definitely hold my own on a court with mm -hmm. just about any player that comes across. Whether they beat me or I beat them, I, we'll have a good match is my point. So I kind of like that concept of having what I call like a good match. So, you know, and it's because, and I think that's because I've spent, you know, thousands of hours of my life playing tennis mm -hmm. and you know right now I'm I'm, I'm 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 i picked up the piano as an instrument and i've spent hundreds of hours playing piano i don't think i've spent thousands yet but i'd love to get to a point where i can be proficient at that so i think golf is no different where i think there to me you know the day i want to st I, i would start playing golf is the day that i would be prepared to spend hundreds of hours playing it or, you know, and, and get to that, that thousand or 2000 hours, right. And to become proficient, you've probably spent five or 10,000 hours playing golf. And that's why you can are, are as strong at the sport as, as you are. Um, and so I, I guess I kind of like respect it too much just to get out there and play, uh, you know, just, just, just for a reason. Having said that you make a great point, which is it'd be good to at a very minimum just learn how to play so that you know you can pick up the clubs and go out and and hit the ball um but i don't know if i'd feel so excited about being like the worst guy on the golf on the, on the foursome time and time again that. unless i took the time to really invest in it so i i like what you said about you know the putting in the time and having to invest in in these things but that in theory unless you're just a savant uh you have to do that with everything you know no matter what you're doing you you always have to put in time to be the best in theory that you can be but what i like to teach is the mental side of it where you know i when we were talking i said you're not going to pick up the club and be tiger woods you know you have to kind of adjust your your expectations and understand that can i be better than i was yesterday hopefully you know golf is up and down so you you're always you know better or worse you know there's no linear trend for golf but in general you know hopefully you get better so it's a matter of being able to adjust your mentality say do i want to be out here so i can spend time with my three kids and potentially get a little bit better or do i want to be tiger woods and even tiger woods for instance he has adjusted his swing multiple times throughout his career he's one of the best golfers ever and he probably will never be you know other than jack he'll probably never be passed by anybody when it comes to his wins and his success. And he's constantly changing his game and putting in time. So I don't think golf or truly anything is something that you can quote unquote master um, unless you're just giving that name. Like, you know, go uh, Tiger is a master at golf, but he has not mastered the game. Nobody has, in theory, nobody ever will because it's, you know, an ever variable game that just has, has so many things that can affect it. So. I like what you said where you need to put in the time and be willing to invest it. But at the same time, what I like to tell people is hamper those expectations. Try and find the value in what you're doing. If you hit one good shot in the entire round, congrats. You did it. You know, you, you, you did what you set out to do. Um, you know, if your goal is to become a tour professional, go for it. But if you don't make it, hopefully you have fun and you enjoy those experiences in the meantime. And 
and at least can use it for business or uh, relationship management or anything else. For instance, spending time with your kids, which I think kids more and more have an opportunity to enjoy the game of golf. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's my little rant on, uh, <laughs> on getting into golf. I think it's great perspective. I think it's 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 uh, it's refreshing to hear that, and it's I, I really appreciate your passion for it. And it's it's you know a lot of times you have athletes who play the sport and uh, then give it up for whatever reason, and they you know I I can't tell you how many tennis players I know that were amazing tennis players that haven't picked up a tennis racket in twenty years. And they, they always say the same thing. I got burnt out. And I, I, I don't understand that concept. To me, they were given an incredible gift, which is to have been good at something and that they were really, you know, at a high, they were able to play at a high level. And, and to, to not continue that, to me, just seems like a huge waste. Going back to the first conversation about time, you know, like think about what you could be doing with your time, you could be giving to yourself and your, 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 friends your community your family the time that in, in playing something uh, uh proficiently and there's beauty in that just like a musician who can play an instrument it's, it's a beautiful thing so i i'm with you and i i i share your passion i appreciate it i think it's a heart and maybe it'll give uh it'll prompt me to to get out on the golf course and, and give a couple swings well i'd be happy to go out there with you anytime just just let me know and uh speaking of time I don't want to take any more of yours. I appreciate it. You've been great. I think the things you talked about have been so interesting and fun to talk about. Um, I, I've had fun so far. I hope, I hope you have too. Uh, I really appreciate you talking to me. I, I love that I now have um, the coolest deal I've ever heard of and the craziest deal I've ever heard of. So I'm sure I'm going to be talking about that to uh, other people in the real estate world and you know, ask them if they have a deal that even gets close to as crazy as that one. So I want to thank you. My listeners, I assume, want to thank you as well. Um, so we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Greg. It's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate your time as well. So thank you for listening to another episode of Getting on the Green. Uh, I learned a lot from Arno. He uh, has a lot of knowledge and has some pretty cool experiences under his belt, uh, kind of spanning through a lot of different businesses and, and fields. And it's great to just add to your basic arsenal of um, your network. So continuing to network, I can't stress enough how important that is. Growing your network base makes you far more valuable um, to people that you might not even know um, it's valuable to yet. So keep growing your, your networks, keep expanding your knowledge in different fields, and, um, and you're going to really see uh, the rewards from doing such a thing. Uh, next week, we have an awesome guest coming on. Um, I am not going to reveal who it is yet, but it is very exciting. And um, we have a lot to talk about, some awesome guests moving forward after that as well. If you have any interest on in being a guest on Getting on the Green, uh, feel free to shoot us an email at gettingonthegreen at gmail.com. Uh, we'd be happy to hear from you. Any questions, comments, anything along those lines, happy to field those emails and uh, get right back to you as soon as physically possible. So feel free to do that. Uh, and until next time, we will see you on the green.